It's something we look forward to every year, letting our hair down with our friends, perhaps making new friends. This one might chill your bones. Hi, and welcome to the Dark Christmas Tales Advent Calendar. This tale is called Party, written by Angela Blythe and read by the author. We got together every Christmas. Not exactly Christmas, but two weeks before. Every one of us looked forward to that weekend and kept it free. The twelve of us had met at university and had a wonderful time. As our group divided off to our new lives all over the country, we began to pine for our deep three-year-long friendship. We used to call ourselves the Dirty Dozen. We weren't at all. But the middle-class Oxbridge Twelve didn't have the same ring to it. As there were so many of us, I don't know who came up with the idea. I just know that it wasn't me. We agreed that every year we would hire somewhere to stay for the weekend, have a party and catch up. Somewhere isolated and out in the country. We were all in our early thirties now. Most of us had families. And inevitably, the pictures would come out over the weekend. It made me feel old to see how all the little ones had grown over the year. This year, we'd picked half of a mansion house in the Peak District. When I say half, it was half. A complete, self-contained half of a house, apart from a joint entrance hall. The other half had been booked over a year ago, and it was a winter wedding. What was lovely was that when the bride realised that the other half would be occupied, she invited us to join them for the evening celebrations. I thought it was a wonderful gesture, but no doubt we would just spend our time catching up with each other. We thought we would be okay weather-wise. We changed the locations every year, so people weren't driving so far all the time. We had one in Scotland about seven years ago, and battled through the snow to get there. Now we always kept it somewhere where we thought that there wouldn't be much chance of snow. However, it was December. We picked that time so we could exchange presents. In a British winter, anything could be unpredictable, I suppose. This year, naturally, at the beginning of the week, snow began to feature heavily in the weather forecast. It was also definite that it was going to be heavy in the peaks and on Thursday evening it began. We were travelling there on Friday morning. Most of us lived in places all around the country where there wouldn't be any. At first it was a little exciting, as long as there wasn't too much. We packed warm clothes and got in our cars, or on the train, and set off to Derbyshire. The first sign of snow was on some hills in the distance. I got closer to them and then passed through them. The sign said, Winnets Pass. Behind me was green and normal, while in front everything was covered with a good four inches of snow. Not the ice and sugar kind. It was the I'm here and I'm staying kind. I don't like driving in the snow. I wasn't used to it where I came from. And now I felt very anxious about getting to the house and not being stranded or worse, being in some kind of collision with a car, a person or a tree at the side of the road. I did get there and so did everyone else. 
I was the fifth person to arrive. In the other part of the house, the guests were arriving too. The bridegroom's father was moaning to everyone about the choice of venue and the stupidity of the date. No one agreed with him. Every family has one. The fact was that we noticed him and his wife. We would see them again later. The snow started again. One second it was a dark sky. A few flakes fluttered down to herald what would come. Then a cascade of flakes began. The wind picked up, pressing them hard onto the windows. We could see no further than a lonely bush outside. The cars were lost in the blizzard of flakes. Amy rushed upstairs and announced that our tyre tracks were already covered and so were the cars. We hoped it would be a quick and sudden affair. It wasn't. Mid-afternoon, the wedding took place and the ladies in our group went to watch the bride enter the marriage room from the grand hallway. It was so romantic and she looked stunning. The bridegroom was a lucky man. It was a fantastic atmosphere that afternoon. The romance of the wedding, rekindling old friendships, the snow, so beautiful outside, and the cosy warmth inside. Christmas was on its way, and we were happy and merry. About 4.30, John, who had nipped upstairs to call his wife and speak to the kids, said that he had overheard a row at the wedding party. It was the bridegroom's father again, and another older male. He didn't know if that was the bride's father or another relative. The bridegroom's father was saying that he had done his duty and was no longer required. He wanted to get home before he got snowed in. The other one was telling him that he was selfish and stupid. It sounded like he'd drunk a few too many champagnes at the wedding breakfast. From what John said, more people joined in and some agreed that they should make tracks. It didn't bother us. We were here until Sunday. No doubt the snow would stop sometime before that, but I did hope that the bride didn't get wind of all this desertion on his special day. We could hear the odd person leaving, car engines starting, trying to negotiate the drive. The muffled sounds told us that they were having problems. I looked outside. There was no way that I would brave that on foot. Never mind a car. They must be crazy. When Sophie ran into the sitting room after using the toilet, white-faced and hysterical, we wondered what had gone on. Sophie is a doctor and definitely not susceptible to any nonsense. She said that when she came out of the door upstairs, a ghost was on the landing and tried to get her. As I said, it was an old house. And, considering it was Sophie who'd said it, over half of us believed her straight away. Of course, some said she ought to slow down on the Christmas cheer. She explained that if she were in their shoes, she wouldn't believe her either, but she hadn't had any alcohol. She was on antibiotics. John and Charlie went back up to see where she'd seen the ghost. There was nothing. When they were on their way back down, they saw two more of the wedding guests leaving. It had put a little downer on the evening. After half an hour, I realised that I needed the loo now, but I was too scared to go. It got to the point where I had to, 
or just make a mess on the carpet. So I tried to focus on the fact that the house was full of humans and John and Charlie had found nothing. I was worried about coming out of the toilet into the hall and being accosted by the ghost, but I didn't have to wait that long. When I was washing my hands, I saw the ghost behind me, reflected in the mirror. His face was set in a ghastly scream, and he drifted towards me. I ran, leaving the tap on, the light on, and the door wide open. With shaking legs, I descended the stairs two at a time, bursting back into the room I'd recently left. Everyone's head turned towards me. I've seen him! The ghost! He's in the toilet! I screeched. The group looked a little more worried. I explained what had happened. I was shaking. Amy put her arm around me. I'll make you a nice cup of tea, she said, and went off into the kitchen. It wasn't long before we heard the sound of smashing crockery, and Amy ran back in. I've seen one too, she shrieked. He's certainly one for the ladies, Dave chimed in, always the joker. It was a lady, Amy said. She tried to grab me. So there are two ghosts now, John asked. This was starting to spoil things. The happy mood of this afternoon had just vanished and I, for one, would not be staying in a bedroom alone. Listen, you ladies haven't cooked this story up, have you? To add some spice to the weekend. Because if you have, well done, but it's not as funny as you think, Dave said. Dave liked to think that only his jokes were amusing. He wasn't prepared to believe that this was true. He wished that he'd thought of this prank before the girls. However, everyone else in the room was convinced. What if there's more than two? You can tell that this place has a rich history just by looking at it, Charlie commented. Don't say that, Sophie said. You ladies stay here. Who wants to come with me to try and find out how bad this situation is? John said. All the men stood up. There were five men in our group and seven ladies. Becky also stood up. She loved this kind of stuff. All her life she'd wanted to see a ghost. Today might be a lucky day. So six went off and six stayed in the sitting room with the door shut. There was the sound of the front door banging again. Another guest leaving. I wonder if they've seen them too. Perhaps this isn't about getting snowed in at all, I mused. That's if it was a person leaving, Amy said. She stood up and walked to the window. There was a tiny window pane left that was not covered by snow, which was still falling. She could just about make out a lady in a red coat and a man trying to hold her up as she slipped around. Their bodies were bent against the blizzard. The man wore a cowboy hat, which he held on to for dear life. That's an unorthodox winter hat, Amy muttered. It was at least 15 minutes before we saw any of the others. Becky and Dave returned. Becky was beaming. She had seen her first ghost. Dave had had the smile wiped off his face. He had discovered that this definitely was not a prank and therefore far too serious for him to contemplate. We saw the woman in the kitchen. At first, I was cleaning up Amy's broken cups, 
I put the kettle on again for a cuppa, and before it had boiled, there she was, standing by the door, blocking our exit, Becky said, flushed and excited. What did you do? Sophie asked Dave. I stood next to Becky. We couldn't do anything else, unless we wanted to push past her or through her. I tell you what, though, he turned to Amy to say this. She's one scary ghost, isn't she? She looks like she's scratching at her throat, and her face looks like it's melting. Old or young? I asked. Old, Becky said. Yeah, the one I saw was old. They all must have died here of old age sometime, I imagined. From the look on her face, I reckon it wasn't a peaceful death, Dave said. The man I had seen looked frightful too. Just at that moment, the remaining four of our party came in. They were quiet and pale. Now I was anxious. What happened? Dave asked. We went upstairs into the bathroom. Charlie looked into the mirror and we stood by the door. The man appeared again and we all saw him. Then something worse happened, John told them. Worse than that? Dave asked. Yeah, John said. When we were walking towards the staircase, another ghost came straight through the wall and into the corridor. There's three! Becky squealed excitedly. Wait, you don't know the full story. We recognised the ghost. It was quite clearly the bridegroom's father, John said in a low voice. No! I gasped. My hands went to my mouth. Charlie nodded. That's not all. He walked towards us, and when we looked around, his wife was behind us. We could see something like a stair banister through her stomach. And they looked terrifying, Charlie said. They must have died on the road, Sophie said. Someone should go in and tell the groom. Let him have his wedding night, the poor bastard. He can be depressed tomorrow, Dave said. I agree. We'd sound crazy storming into the wedding and saying that we'd seen his parents as ghosts. No chance. How horrible for him, Charlie said. Why would they come back here? The ghosts, I mean, I asked. To say goodbye or to sort out unfinished business, Becky said. It's always that. Well, the fact is, we now have four ghosts. I'm not going to bed, no chance, I said. I am staying here, and I'd be happy if most of you stayed here with me. I'm not afraid to admit that I'm terrified. I'll stay, John said. I knew he would. All of them said they would. They also thought that going to the toilet in groups was advisable too. When Claire wanted to go, me, Amy and Becky said that we would go with her, even in the toilet. Now was not the time to be private. As we flung open the sitting room door, two ghosts were standing outside in the hall. They looked like they were about to come in. We screamed and slammed the door shut. It was safe to say that Claire didn't want to go anymore. We all rushed to the other side of the room. Becky wasn't bothered. I screamed and Sophie began to cry. Amy stared at the door, white-faced, her mouth open, ready to speak. 
What is it? Charlie asked. Something's going on, Amy said. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to work that one out, Dave said. I don't mean that, Amy said. Her face was white and sweaty at the same time, like hard wax that she found hard to manoeuvre into gestures and words. I saw those two ghosts alive about 20 minutes ago. Remember when we heard more people leaving? The lady wore a red coat, the man wore a cowboy hat. Well, that's them. They're now spooks outside the door, Amy said. He did have a cowboy hat on, Becky commented. John walked over to the window. The snow was terrible. The cars were under great drifts. The wind howled. How had that couple died and returned so quick? Becky opened the door, boldly standing in front of it. She shut it again. Are they still there? Sophie asked. Yes, them and a few others. They all want to come in, Becky said. Don't you dare let them in, Amy snapped at Becky angrily. Don't worry, I'm not going to, Becky said. Even she had had enough. I don't want to be here anymore, I said. There was silence in the room, but everyone felt the same. We have a choice. We either get well and truly haunted inside, or frozen to death outside, Charlie said. At least snow is real and we can touch it. Why are the ghosts haunting us too? Why not their own family and friends over there? Amy asked. The party's over. We could hear no music when we came in, John said. Perhaps they all went home. Perhaps they're all dead, Dave added. Don't say that, it's not funny, Sophie commented quietly. Let's just see how bad it is. If we can get outside past the ghosts, I'm willing to see how bad it is out there. I know my coat is hanging near the front door, John said. You can see how bad it is through the window, John. We can't stay here, though. We'll all be dead of fright, I said. Luke, we'll just take a few steps outside. Watch us from the window. Who's ready to brave the hall and has a coat they can put on quickly? John asked. Only he and Charlie had hung their coats by the door. They peeked through a crack in the door to the hall. It was dark, darker than they remembered it. The ghost was still there, but there was even more now. They were all milling around the hall and on the stairs. Run! John shouted. Charlie and John ran full pelt towards the front door, grabbing their coats. As Dave and Becky shut the door to the sitting room, the ghost turned and tried to come in once more. John and Charlie got out into the snow safely, and we crowded around the window, trying to see them through the odd parting in the snowflake. We continually watched. For a good five minutes, they were too far away. That was a bad time. It seemed like an eternity. Charlie was the first to be spotted, and he was less visible than he'd been when he'd left. The snow had stuck all over his coat, camouflaging him. The two men struggled in the wind before bursting through the front door. They got to us as quickly as they could, covered in snow and freezing cold. 
For a minute they stood by the fire. I think it was hard to tell us. Hard to see. They're all dead. All the guests. They're outside now. Dead, John said. How do that many people get frozen in the snow? I asked. They haven't been frozen. Or at least that isn't what killed them. It's just the bodies that are frozen now, John said. How do you know? Sophie asked. Throats slit. Hooks through them. Arm cut off. That's just some of it. You get the picture, Charlie said sadly. But what about the ghosts, Amy said, who had her heart set on leaving? Just have to put up with them. It looks like they all died from the same, I don't know, murderer or monster. One by one. After they die, they make their way back into the house of spirits, John said. Psycho and frozen outside. Heart attack and ghosts inside. It's nice to have a choice at least, Dave said. You have no choice, the man in the cowboy hat said, as the rest of his ghostly friends passed through the wall towards us. The house must feed. That was a dark Christmas tale, written and read by Angela Blythe. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about further stories in this series, or my other work, please go to www.angelablythe.com.